Okay, so what I want to do today is to start a discussion of probability in, uh, and, and the, the way in which the halachic concept of probability interacts with, uh, with conceptions of what reality actually is. And then my hope is that this will uh, take us into, concept, into a discussion of an article by Rabbi Alex Ozar, which is only footnoted in the article, but I think is really terrific. Uh, on Rosh Hashim and the question of whether there are uh, there are things that are religiously mandated or prohibited even though there is nothing in halacha about them whatsoever. Uh, is it possible to have is it possible to have gaps? Not just the question of like, or anything like that, but um, just things where halacha chooses not to say something even though uh, even though one's conception of what God's God's will um, does say something. Okay, that's the that's the big issue. What I want to do today is just um, is just try to uh, introduce the subject. So we're going to start. And the way I'm going to plan to do it is we're going to start. We're going to read. We're going to read read um, a snippet of Gemara Rishon, and then we're going to read what I said about it in the chapter. Uh, hopefully, what I said about it in the chapter will be more comprehensible after reading the text uh, than beforehand, and evaluate. Like, you know, do you know? Do you think that what I said say about it is correct or compelling, and does it actually does it constitute a flowing argument? So we'll start with the Gemara. The Gemara says, um, out of nowhere, for our purposes, Minoha milsa d'amura banan zil basaruba. So minoha milsa is the equivalent of uh, minalan, or um, I'm blanking on the Hebrew minayan. Right? It's usually a request for a um, for a biblical source, um, but um, in right in in uh, Talmudic epistemology, uh, svara is equivalent to a biblical source. Right? So you can answer the question minayan with with with, with svarahi. Uh, right, so what is the source? And that is an interesting phrase, Pad Amur Rabbanan. Right, what is the source of this rabbinic expression? Um, so that's you know, so interesting idea, like you know, what, what what is the what is the status of a rabbinic of a rabbinic expression? Right? Where does it play a role in Halakha? Where does it come from? Really interesting question. Don't know. So here's what the rabbinic statement is. Zil basaruba. Follow the rub. Uh, okay, a rub is uh, right, variously definable as either a majority or a plurality. You have to decide right which of those which of those you think is necessarily necessarily referred to. Is it the thing of which there is the most, or the thing of which mo- the thing which is most of? Um, okay, so there seems to be there's a claim that there is a statement made by Rabbanan. Um, we don't know whether a statement made by Rabbanan necessarily reflects a consensus or not, uh, right? But at least some rabbis, right? What is the source of the statement which is made by at least some rabbis? Quote saying, "Go after the go after the rose." So there's the Gemara. Uh, responds one of these parenthetical asides, and you can make up your own mind as to whether these parenthetical asides are the product of a single author or the reflection of, you know, of, a, later, of a later redactor coming in and saying, what? <laughs> uh, right? Some of them, I think, are, are, are plainly, I think, I think it is plainly a literary device in the Gemara to say something and then to stop and say, what? Uh, but I don't know which one it is here. I say, Midolan? You're asking a question? So there's a pasuk, which says, and that sounds exactly like so Deborah's raising her eyebrows at me because she, of course, knows that the pasuk uh, actually tells you not to follow Acharei Rabim, right? And so if you read it as a single phrase, it's a negative, right? But we're, the assumption of this interjection is that you all know you're supposed to you're supposed to read it as break Acharei Rabim Latot, new sentence. Yes, that was that what the eyebrows were about. Okay, um, so the um, okay, so the right, so so the at least whoever writes the interjections thinks that it is obvious that there is a verse which says "Achar Rabim Latot," and therefore it's ridiculous to ask the question, "What's the source of the rabbinic expression?" Zil Bosaruba is just an Aramaic translation, right? Um, okay, so the Gemara answers. Ruba de Isa Kaman. And then we have a resumptive repetition. We say Minolan again, right now that we have the question accurate. Okay, so we have a distinction between a Ruba de Isa Kaman and a Ruba de Lesa, de Lesa Kaman. Ruba de Isa Kaman is defined as a case where, um, right, one case is where you find um, a, piece, uh, a piece of meat and, um, right, and you don't know which store it came from. Um, but you have a majority, the majority of stores is kosher, the majority of stores is trade, whichever way you, whichever way you want it to be. 
Um, so you follow, right, so you, you, the halachic status of that meat follows the majority of the locations from which it was likely to have come. Okay, now that, that uh, issue needs to be complicated in lots of ways. Uh, first of all, there's, um, there's, right, there's a difference between whether you find the meat on the street in front of the, in front of the stores or you, find, or you took the meat from one of the stores, you don't remember which. One is called Kavua, um, right? If you, if, you, if, you, if you you took it from a specific place, but you can't remember which specific place, right? Then it's called Kavua, and we treat that as a 50-50 case, no matter what. Uh, right? If you find it, you know, if you find it, if you find it somewhere where it's already left its original location, then obviously we could spend you know the rest of our lives just trying to figure out exactly what constitutes uh, what constitutes having left its original place or not. And we can right, the magic word to say is here is the makom leidat hasafik, the place where the suffix or leidat hasafik, right, the place where this where the doubt began. Whether that's a subject or object, we're going to leave all that aside. Right? We're not we're not do, we're not doing that. Uh, but if you can if you know if you define the piece of meat as having left its uh, as as having left its original location by the time that you start evaluating, right, um, then you can say that it probably came from the majority. Again, find right, what happens if one of the uh, the meat shops is bigger than one of the others. What if you have to, if you go more often to one of the meat shops, than the, right, right, than the others? You you go by majority, uh, you know, volume, weight, all sorts of things. We're going to bracket all those things also, right? We're going to imagine there's some platonic world in which their pieces of meat are are interchangeable, you know, bits of bits of data, and all stores are exactly the same size, uh, or equally likely to have things drop, you know, give give bags of exactly the same strengths, or equally likely to have, well, all those sort of things. Okay. I also assume the nine out of ten and fifty-one out of hundred are exactly the same thing. I assume nine out of ten and and um, five hundred and one out of a thousand and five and five right and, and fifty thousand one out of, right all those things right. We're gonna we're assuming all those. We're assuming all that. Okay. Right, the the, the second right. So there's one one case that this counts for is the piece of meat found in front of the collection of stores, and the other is the Sanhedrin. So what do we mean by a Sanhedrin? Presumably, we're talking about a vote on the Sanhedrin. And that probably is the the con the best we can come up with the context for Acharim Rabim Hatot. So if you have some kind of context of a um, some kind of context of a vote, then the um, then the, the majority rules again majority or plurality. That's the whole uh, right. That you know assuming that there's a binary outcome, right? So it's easy to talk about majorities. There isn't the binary. If there isn't the binary outcome, and it's not so easy. Uh, right, whether you go by outcomes or rationales, right, that's an issue on the Supreme Court also. Uh, right, whatever, you have multiple rationales that achieve the same result in the specific case, to what extent you set precedent, those are all, those are all cool issues which we're going to have to bracket. Um, but what would you say is the, but, right, there are two cases that are the same, um, which are the, the, the meat in front of the stores and the vote on the center. And there's one case which is different, which is the katan and the katana. So the case of the katana katana is um, whether you're allowed to assume that the katana katana will grow up into whatever you, con- you whatever you consider to be uh, normal adults. And normally, right, norm- the normal f- way of thinking about normal adults in this context is going to be uh, is going to be is going to be sexual uh, right sexual maturity, but you could think of other contexts such as uh, you know mental stability, uh, right right you know, mental, right you know, responsibility responsibility all sorts of things like that. So do we right? Can we say that? Uh, uh, when we enge- can we do something with a katana and a katana now that um, in, uh, on the a presumption that most kata- mo- most katanim and katanot will turn out to be um, normal adults, mainstream adults, adults with the right, whatever you want to call it. Like you know that we really get if we're talking about Rove, will they turn out to have the characteristics that are characteristic of fifty point one percent of adults? Um, right. So obviously, right. Obviously, that's going to be gendered. Uh, right, because you have right, fifty-one percent of adults are male. You're not going to assume that uh, right, that a that a that a female child is going to grow up to be right to be a male or vice versa, um, right? So there are all, all sorts of criteria by that. Probably, you know, we might there are all sorts of other ways which we might we might um, use lineage or gen- genetics or anything like that to predict if fifty-point-one percent of adults are more than five foot four. This right, we have a very small child. You do right all, but we're gonna we're assuming that we're dealing with things that affect generic halachic status, which is, is going to be Either physical, uh, either, fi- either physical characteristics or or, um, or mental characteristics. Okay, what's the difference between the cases, right? That's, and that it sounds by implication, that's called a ruba de lesa kaman 
as opposed to a uh, Aruba de Isa command. So what, right, we have to define what's the difference between Aruba de Isa command and Aruba de Lesa command. Uh, right, we're going to say that the Pasuk HaKarei Rabim Latot only tells us, uh, here we should be very careful, only tells us either that we must follow the majority or that we may follow the majority, that's also ambiguous, uh, in cases of Aruba de Isa command, but does not give us that information, the, the Pasuk by itself does not give us that information regarding Aruba de Lesa command. Uh, yes, Devin. Uh huh. One of them is that the Ruba de Isa command is about a situation where you have all the all the possibilities in front of you and you just have to choose. Mm -hmm. And a Ruba de Lesa command is a situation where you have a lot of the information, but the one piece of information you most need to prove a particular person will someday belong to, not only do you not have it, but it doesn't belong to you. And so you have to use the information you have to guess at the information you need. Mm -hmm. The other possibility, or maybe a simpler way of saying the same thing, is that Rubadiza Kaman is about counting up things that already exist and maybe you're that was in front of you already. Okay, so let's, right, there are a couple of things that we need to challenge there. The first is when you talk about counting possibilities. So this counting possibilities, um, this counting possibilities relate to, is voting really a counting of possibilities? We can imagine voting being about possibilities if you think that your count of the possibilities is what the truth is. Um, but it's not, right? But it's, not, it's, it's clearly not the same as counting up possibilities as to where the meat came from. So we have to think about whether that, whether that formulation is precise. On the other hand, you have to think about the Rubid Lesson command necessarily requires information about the future. Uh, right? well, it only gave us one example. That's correct. It only gave us one example. Uh, right? So the question is, is the, right, it happens that that example relates to information about, right, it right, relates to knowledge of something that has not yet happened. But it's not, it's not obviously true that that is... Um, well, yeah. There might be a, well, at least sort of a diagnostic. Uh -huh. Can I ask you, in, I guess, any of the rabbis' world, if the child did something that would only be valid, say, Hebrew, if they should later go through Hebrew, then they die before they have a chance to get to be a good Jew. Valid, invalid, or we'll never know. Well, that's, we're going to, that's exactly the case the Gemara is going to bring up. So I can't, right, so we'll have but to... Clearly invalid, they didn't make it to Hebrew. That would mean something. But that's not the answer. Sorry, then I need to make sure how precisely you're framing the question. Say it again. Suppose that you have a widow who is eleven, sorry, eight years old. Uh huh. Not even close to the age of Hebrew. And she does Hebrew and then drops dead the next year. Yeah. Do we say? was definitely a sin because she didn't make it to puberty, therefore the only thing that would have made it not a sin would be if she had just been born. That didn't happen, so it's definitely a sin. Do we say we can't know if it was a sin because that would depend on whether she would have gone through puberty, which we don't know. Okay, so I'm okay, I don't want to, I don't want to, good question, I don't want to answer it yet. <laughs> okay. right, that's, a really, that's a really good question. Uh, could you think of a case, though, that isn't about the future? That would still be different than the other two. Right, that we still that we, right, that we that we different than the chaniyot, and the um, and the uh, well, let's let's take let's take. the case, this is not just a hedge. Yeah. It's not talking about. It's talking about have know what your goal is. Are you trying to hear what? Yeah. The idea is simply that follow the Yeah. Sanhedrin is an easy case, which right? doesn't really fit. Right? Sanhedrin is the easiest case to say. Right? It's just, it's, um, it's just a heuristic. You know, it's a, right? you know, it's, in, in, it's a political heuristic. Right? What do you do? Right? It doesn't tell you anything about the nature of the world. It doesn't tell anything about the nature of truth. It just is. Right? So the Sanhedrin is probably the, in a sense, the easiest case and um, difficult to. Uh, you know, we could talk about what happened. You know, we could talk about. Um, what happens if there's a majority that didn't vote, right? That would be the part of the case of Sanhedrin, right? Whatever, if I know that most post schemes say this, but they never met to discuss, right? That's an interesting question whether that constitutes a, right, a Ruba de Ita Kaman. I guess that's a good way of thinking about it, right? Does Ruba de Ita Kaman 
uh, mean that they have to, are the key factors that, that people actually voted? Is the key factors that we're all in a room? Uh, right? Therefore, we can bracket the question of who gets to vote. Uh, right? Is it just the fact, right? is it, or is it the fact that we know, ex- we know exactly how many people get to vote? We're not right that the, um, right, with, right, the denominator is fixed. Right, that, right, that, that, right. It might be that that's the key characteristic, is that the denominator is fixed. A denominator is fixed at something less than the total number of x in the world. Right, maybe it's a little less than, come on, any time I make a base probabilities on, uh, on a numerator, on a numerator that, that is def- a d- denominator that's defined as all instances of x in the world. Right, so the question is, right, what happens Even if, if it's about something that hasn't happened yet? Uh, well, it hasn't happened yet. Well, I don't know, but let's so let's go both ways, right? Maybe let's say this way. Let's suppose I know that most of the bagels in the world are kosher. Well, let's assume most of the not not hechshered, but kosher. Right? right? So that most of the, most of the bagels in the world are kosher. So I right, I'm wandering I'm wandering through Podunk, Iowa, and I find a paper bag with a bagel in it. It smells yummy. Can I eat the bagel? Could have come from any bagel store in the world. Is that a ruba de isa come on? Because I know, right? Because it's right. Or is that a ruba de lesa come on? Right. Let's, 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 I won't be. I'm wandering through. Uh, right. I'm wandering through the international arrivals terminal. Right at JFK. Right. So now it really could have come from anywhere. Right. From uh, from any from anywhere in the world. Uh, right. So is that enough? Right. If I say, like, you know, I know most of the bagels in the world are kosher. They'll ask me, how do I know that all the bagels in the world are kosher? That is also in a question. Right. You're right, goodish, right? So maybe it has, maybe maybe it's, maybe the definition is that I know something. Spe- I have personal acquaintance with every th- with every option in the numerator in the denominator. Uh, right, right. That maybe that's uh, right. We haven't even talked about the question: What happens if right instead of nine kosher stores and one kosher store is nine hechshert stores? Not right, one trafe store is nine hechshert store, and one trafe store, but the trafe store sells some kosher product. Uh, right, because not every right meat is easy because meat right because meat has to be hectored. Things have to have been done to it. But bagels, things just things have to just not have been done to it. Right, so it's complicated to figure out exactly what the uh, what the ba- what the boundary is. Right, you have an instinct that there you know that it makes it, voting is pretty clear. Although I, you know, again, I could imagine right there are Asimov stories in which the whole world votes. Uh, right, and there's a marvelous Asimov story in which only one person votes on behalf of the whole world because computers determined that this is the representative voter. Um, <laughs> election day is just watching the, this one person make up their mind, <laughs> and everything is everything is perfectly determined as a result. Um, okay, so that's right. So I think that you know, so I think we we can. This is one of the, the many cases in Talmud where you can you know with where you can figure out you know that you you have a binary. You have cases that you know fit on this side of the binary, and you have cases that you know fit on that side of the binary. But it doesn't mean that you know that you either understand it conceptually, or that you have a predictive principle. It just means the right, that there's intuition, and the intuition is good enough. To, right, it's good enough to draw a line between here and here with a big buffer zone. But if you want right, to start, so you want to make lambda claims, right? Then you need formulations, right? That's a, in a, that's in a sense what brisk contributes. Is right to say it's not enough to right to say that I can I can handle most cases on the basis of this intuitive heuristic. I actually need to be able to put it into language, and that language has to be clear enough, right? That's what Deborah's always going to challenge. It language has to be clear enough that it actually uh, it actually generates a um, an almost universally predictive principle. If I know everything about the case, then right, then I, then I right. If you, if you can tell me everything that's true about the case, then I can tell you which side of the line it belongs on, because my tool my tool. Is a very is a very precise uh, is a very precise tool. And ideally, another person. And ideally, right? You know, that's the advantage. You know, the language should be objective. Should be objective, absolutely. Um, okay. Um, so here's what I said about it. Let's see where we go. Right. So I started by um, right, having a Jackie Mason joke. Right. There's fifty percent chance of rain. Half an umbrella doesn't keep you dry. And by the same token, Jackie Mason didn't say it does. Right. Does, it's not a, a sensible reaction to a fifty percent chance of rain. Is uh, is is not to take an umbrella half the time. That makes no sense at all. I don't think. Uh, right, you just end. Up, you know, you know, either it makes sense to carry an umbrella when there's a fifty percent chance of rain, or it doesn't. Right, carrying an umbrella fifty percent of the time is just uh, right. Is just playing with randomness. Let's say um, right. So probability and reality don't interact smoothly. 
Uh, second question to talk about, which is uh, experience I think many people had. I had as a freshman in college, um, taking a, a uh, well, not taking the Intro to Philosophy class, but taking the class after the Intro to Philosophy class with uh, Professor Walter Wurzberger, Rabbi Walter Wurzberger, Lava Shalom, in which he first introduced me to what my friend Chacham Arya Greenberg calls the epistemological abyss, which is the realization that every way of knowing something cannot be verified, definitionally can't be verified by itself. So there can't be a logical way of proving that logic is true. All right, that's, right, that's what sends some people crashing down. And for me, like, the crash was realizing that I can't figure out what the odds are the probability is true. Uh, right, what, would, what would it mean? Right? And so I, I went a little bit nuts. Uh, you know, I, I remember, remember asking, you know, going on a long rant about uh, uh, what, you know, whether, uh, I think inviting, inviting Robert Wurzberger to eat the chair, the chair, the chair um, that I was sitting on because it might taste like a hot dog. You know? <laughs> and just because up till now chairs haven't tasted like hot dogs. <laughs> it's just, um, and uh, he, he, I think, very calmly explained to me that there was a difference between philosophy and life. Um, <laughs> and particularly, he encouraged me to jump out the third floor window. <laughs> <laughs> because that, you know, who says just because people died last time, and it hurt that it would hurt this time, right? So that was that was a uh, I think it was, it was fortunate that fortunate that I had Rabbi Wurzberger as my teacher in that regard because some people never recover from the experience, and I had that that moment where um, you know where he sort of called me back called me back to reality, but I still struggle with it. Uh, very grateful to teachers who um, another example I mentioned is it's irrelevant but it's useful um, when I was a. Uh, I think a sophomore in college, maybe a junior. Uh, I became enamored of uh, deconstruction as a tool of literary, literary criticism, literary analysis. Um, deconstructionists, uh, among, I believe that all books contradict, contradict themselves, and that and the insight that Deborah and I argue about really, but that the, the perfect parody is indistinguishable from the original work. And therefore, you can never tell whether a book is an original or a parody of itself. Because if somebody were making a parody, they would do exactly the same thing. Uh, so I was taking a course on the development of the novel, and uh, I was finding the early novels really, really boring, and uh, really, really boring. <laughs> and uh, Professor Will Lee uh, was quite attached to, Ibadil uh, Chaim was quite attached to the novels he was teaching. And I wrote a series of papers arguing that they were all satires on the genres they started, uh, which upset him a great deal. We had all sort of conversations. Usually, gave me really bad grades on them. And then I would, you know, I would sit in his office and go through all the evidence that I sometimes even convinced him that there are elements of satire in the novel in, in the novel that started the genre. And uh, then we were getting up to Austin, and Austin at that point was um, was uh, Sifrei Kodesh for him. And he looked at me and said, "You're not going to do this to Austin, also, are you?" <laughs> and I said, "Sure, I will." And he looked at me and he said, "Well, what will you do with Tanakh?" And that was a really good question. <laughs> And that, you know, that was a that was a question that kept me from going all the way off the deep end, uh, down deconstruction. That I, you know, at some point I had to, uh, I had to preserve a uh, a notion a notion of uh, Tanakh. Although there are, there are Yona particularly is 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 fun to read as a satire. Uh, could be, could be. Uh, you know, again, can't distinguish. <laughs> uh, okay, you know, you know, William. William Sapphire has his reading of you, right? Where you know where it's a, uh, it's the thing you always point out, right? His, his children die, he gets replacement children. Anybody really mean that seriously? That's what's gonna make him happy. <laughs> and I have some children, you know. That's all. So right, Sapphire, you know. Well, Again, <laughs> you, you if presumptions, right? We're talking really wise people, and this just person just doesn't listen. Okay. Sorry. Well, we won't talk about Jonathan Swift now. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so for that matter, what are the odds that probability is usefully predictive? This sort of puzzle twists some of us into epistemological pretzels. Our friends wonder why we care, since they're 100% sure it works well in our reality. Great mathematicians, physicists, and fantasy writers wonder what it would be like to live in a different kind of reality. Also Talmudists. Right? That, that's, that's the, the intro to our sugya. Because on Chud 11a, the Talmud asks, from whence cometh that thing the rabbis say, zil bataruba? Not in the context of voting, right? So that's what a Sanhedrin is. Nor in bounded sets, right? So that's my definition of Ruba Isa Kaman. It's a bounded set, uh, right? Where you, which I'm trying to argue is where you know all the, you can, you can individually identify all the objects in the denominator. Right? Um, such as which of 32 ping pongs will emerge first from, uh, first from a cage, right? Ping pong will emerge first from a cage, which is the equivalent. Which is another kind of case, right? Because that is, um, right? That's a challenging endeavor because that is a future thing. Uh, the other is one out of thirty. There's a one in thirty-two chance that each of these will 
that right that um, that each of these will emerge from a case. So maybe you'll argue it has no nafkamina until it's actually emerged, right? That's a whole right. That's a whole interesting question. Um, such cases derive from the verb achrei rabim hatot. Um, the question relates to context, which require us to predict the future. Here, I went with the formulation on the basis of past experience. Right, that's another way of defining it. I didn't do a good job, I guess, in the book of being precise enough. Um, right, that the that um, right, we can say the difference is 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 it about knowledge of the present or is it about knowledge of the future? Uh, predicting the future based on past experience, and we have a a space we haven't nailed, with, which is the area the you know, things that are. Based where the where the denominator is the entire world, but it's about the present, and things which are about the future, but with a bounded set. Right? Those are those are the those are the great cases we haven't figured out. Okay, so what does the Gemara say? That, right. So this um, the sugya in Chulin doesn't build out what katan and katana are, but the sugya in Yevamos of Samachalof Mebeis does build out what the case is. Um, so we have a bright Tanya. Rabbi Yezer Omer Kohen Takana. Rabbi Yezer says that a Kohen Cannot marry a um, cannot marry a minor uh, a minor girl, and the Gemara explains right who it is in the Gemara is not my issue right now. Uh, that's why it's right. This is a really fascinating claim, right? So the the position you can't marry a Tana is the position of a mayor who who is concerned for the minority. So the question we have to figure out is when, when a mayor says he's concerned for the minority, does that mean that the rabbanan who says zil basaruba are the rabbanan of Rabbi Meir, meaning that they, their position is defined in opposition to Rabbi Meir, and Rabbi Meir denies Zil Basaruba. Right? So Rabbi Meir is living in this alternate universe. Right? To, say, to deny Zil Basaruba means to live in a world without probability. For halachic pervert, halachic man, or woman. Right? It lives in a world, right? according to Rabbi Meir, if we set it up now, denies Zil Basaruba. Now he doesn't, Let's suppose he doesn't deny Zil Basaruba in the context of voting. Right? Probably Ray Mayer agrees that uh, right that um, that you follow the majority in a vote. Although again, we have to figure out who follows the majority in a vote: the people who voted, or the constituency of the people who voted. <coughs> and you can define it both ways. You can say that everyone is bound by the vote except for the people in the vote, and you can say that everyone is bound that only the people in the vote are bound by the vote, or you can say both are. Um, <coughs> right, and then. Uh, right, but the but presumably, uh, let's say for now. Although again, you know, I'm reading the sugi nivamos. The sugi in Hulin seems to incorporate the sugi nivamos, but the sugi nivamos doesn't mention the sugi in Hulin. Right, so the sugi in Hulin says katanaktana. It's probably talking about the sugi nivamos, but when the sugi in nivamos um, doesn't say anything that is doesn't say that it's agreed to that um, that tangent in or that that interjection in in Hulin that says we're not talking about aruba disa kaman. Right, so it could be Remeir is cholik on Zilbas. We have to ask, or only on one of those two cases. Remeir has, presumably, although maybe Remeir even goes back to the point ever wanted and thinks that Achrei Rabbi Mlatot, you're misreading the pasuk. That's a little say. Don't. Right, so we at this point we don't know. We have this mysterious position that shows up all over Shas, not necessarily meaning the same thing all the time. That Remeir is the person who is Chayish Lemiuta, which we're Hypothesize means Remeir rejects Zil Basaruba. The Gemara then says, right, you're claiming Rabbi Yezer holds, uh, holds like Remeir, but really Rabbi Yezer doesn't hold like Remeir. Remeir means Savarla. Tanya, we have a Breita which is going to have a, um, which is going to set us up into a Machloket um, Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yezer. Two Breitas really, one Breita will be the position of Rabbi Meir, and then Rabbi Yezer is going to disagree with that position. We're going to go through the case, but our issue is not figuring out whether Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yezer agrees with Rabbi Meir. Our issue is figuring out what does Rabbi Meir say. Okay, so here's the case. Vatani, uh, have a bright katan katana lo cholzim lo miyab min divrei Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir holds that you cannot do either chalitza or yibum. Well, right, um, the mi- not, neither side of the yib- of the yibum uh, ritual can be performed by a minor. Amar lo Rabbi Meir, so he says Rabbi Meir, yafe amartash ein cholzim. I understand. Um, I understand why they can't engage in chalitza. So we have a verse. The verse says you can't do chalitza. That the that, right that the male can't do chalitza unless the male is an adult. And then we have another pasuk that uh, equates the male and the female. So okay. So now we understand that only adults can engage in chalitza. But we have no verse that tells us that only that only adults, only people who have reached majority. Are capable of are able to engage in yibum. So Amar Leis, so Rameir responds to them, 
קטן שמא יימצא סריס, קטנה שמא תימצא אילנס, ונמצאו פוגעים בערבה. So we get to Deborah's case. Right? The answer is, right, the case is that the reason we don't allow them to do Yibam is because of the possibility that it will turn out that uh, one or both of them was infertile, and if one or both of them were not... Doesn't go through, okay, but so I tell you about what, that, so, okay, let's, let's say it that way, right? One or both of them, one or both of them will turn out to be halachically defined as not having gone, as not having achieved sexual maturity. Um, I don't know if puberty is the right word. Um, Therese? What's the symptom? I think that's what a Therese is? Okay. Okay, could be. Um, and if it turns out that's the case, so then because Yibam is always on this knife edge, right, that if it's mandatory, right, that's right, that if it's not, uh, if it's not Yibam, then, um, then it's incest, so it will turn out that they have, ga- that they've engaged in incest. Okay, and that's, right, so that's what, that's what, that's what Emeir holds, and Rabbi Yezer says, no, they can do Yibam. So that gets Rabbi Yezer out of it, but that's not our issue, right, our issue but I have to figure out why, why in that case he thinks he, a Kohen shouldn't marry a Ketana. Not our issue. All that matters is we have defined Remeir. Remeir is the person who is Chayesh Lemiuta, which means that he doesn't allow children to engage in activities which there is a, which there is a minority possibility will turn out to have been sinful, even if there is a majority possibility that it will turn out to have been a mitzvah. So that's right. So that that so that definition gives us a very narrow context. I'm talking right because there's right the cost is the right. So the chayish miyuta might mean he's concerned for minority cases only when the effect of the minority case is that something becomes a sin, maybe even becomes a, a, a sin as chayif karis, um, and uh, and maybe you know he's maybe he you could you could even make an argument that it's only when the when the result of that the, the alternative is a mitzvah because he's worried that the mitzvah is being engaged in improperly. Or we could say that Remeir is a generalized position which says that in this sort of case, the katan and ktana, uh, he does not believe in zil basaruba. And the katan and ktana is not defined by any of the specific characteristics of the, the mitzvah's characteristics of the case. The katan and ktana is defined by it being a ruba to let the kaman. And that's the simple way of doing it, right? Because this the because the, the Gemara in Chulin defines it as, Rubelet, as the case of Katan and Ketana as Rubel Leta Kaman, and this is presumably the case of Katan and Ketana. Katan and Ketana is just a quote from the Brisa, which begins, Katan and Ketana lo cholsi velo Okay, so that means that there is, a, right, that would mean that, in fact, the Zilbas Aruba is the position of the Rabbanan, and not the position of a mayor, and so what we're looking for in our Sugi in Chulin is, right, is not the, um, it's not how we ground a consensus, but how we establish one side of machloket and the other side exists in halacha, and presumably has to be reasonable also. Okay. Um, okay, right, that's the, uh, right, so that's the way I define it, right? The practical consequence of the specific question of, is esoteric. The mayor is cited as holding that prepubescents are forbidden to engage either yibam or chalitza. He has a verse to prove chalitza but not yibam. Why for Bet Yibam? Because if either party grows up to be sterile, it's defined by halacha. Deborah says, right, whatever you want definition, Yibam becomes incest. Maybe because I was quoting Kasi. Okay. Remeir's colleagues dismiss this concern on the grounds that most adults are not sterile, and therefore most minors will not be sterile as adults. The Talmud generalizes this dispute. Remeir consistently is concerned for minority, whereas the rabbis are not saying Zil Bataruba. What justifies the rabbis? Because now, we are, now we're back in the Sugi Nikulin. And the question is, why do the rabbis reject Remeir? Why are they not Chayesh Lemiuta? And so it's important to just figure out like which of our, which which we think, right? Which which do we think should be the default? If it's a, right, if it's a generic, um, if it's a, if it's a generic dispute, right? You're coming in by the Nopsukim. Um, so what do we think logically should be the position? Should we care about minorities? We care about minorities only in cases where the result of not caring about them is a risk of sin. All right, which means Remeir, we would agree zilbas aruba, except when the consequences are sin or great grave sin or things like that. Uh, or do we think that actually no, majority rule is what makes sense. 
though, right? What, what do we think the Torah's relationship should be to probability? And why? Okay. Yeah. So you think that it's that you know, I guess right what my friend Alicia calls uh, right phrenesis, practical reason it means you have to make decisions based on past experience sometimes, and so you should be able to make halachic decisions the same way you make normal decisions. Um, but probably there are cases where you won't do that, right? So let's say for example. Let's suppose I have a really heavy ball in my object, right in my hand, and I throw it in your general direction. Uh, but I know that I miss 60% of the time. Am I allowed to do this? Because, right, I'm aiming for your nose. <laughs> but I miss 60% of the time. Am I allowed to do that? Because, look, I know I most I usually miss. Might kill might people? Might. Yeah. Be if you're left. chopping wood with an axe and you didn't check the head on it and uh -huh. the head goes flying off, you're a murderer. Really good. It tells me that you took a, take, taking that chance was not a legitimate thing to do. So that's a really interesting argument. We won't get we won't get that far this week. But that's a really interesting argument, right? That's going to be the core of uh, what Rabbi Ozar thinks Rosh Hashanah is talking about. Does the fact that you will be a murderer after the fact? Uh, mean that you were wrong to take the risk. So there's a corollary of that, which is that you're, right, that you're, not, you're not allowed to do anything which, which carries the risk of being murdered after the fact. There might also be some things that it's your job to make sure you didn't do them on purpose. Other things that it's your job to make sure that on purpose you didn't do them. That so sounds... not the same thing. And some mitzvot might fall into one category and others into uh -huh. the other. Okay, that sounds a little complicated for now. What is, so okay, so right, so let, let's it's let's the difference between the kid who didn't break the toy on purpose and what you wanted them to do, which is to go out of their way to not break the toy. Yeah, okay, right. But um, everybody gets carried in the formulations. Um, but we could say, okay, you're allowed to, you're allowed, you're right, we're supposed to follow the majority except where there's a risk of a B of curious and B of damage to others. Right, we could right, we could frame it that way. Remeir is only in the case of grave sin and damage to others, which means if the rabbis disagree with him... Why do you think that the rabbis allow you to... Well, I want to know where... ...that only have a 20% chance of killing someone. If I don't see any evidence that the rabbis believe that either. If is for the possibility of an Yisr Kares, that, right, that what you're doing will end up being an Yisr Kares, and the rabbis disagree, so the rabbis think it's okay to do actions that carry a risk of Yisr Kares. Now you can tell me, no... So one in a million. I don't know. Nobody. Nobody. No, 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 nobody said anything. Nobody has introduced any terms in here. Other than you want to claim a mayor is chayish lemiutza means he's choshesh even for small mutes. Well, yes, because we've already established that almost all children survive to adulthood, reach adulthood. You think you're a mayor? You think that you think that everybody is choshesh for right for, right for twenty right for for twenty percent chances, but a mayor is choshesh even for one percent chances. I think Rivera is being close this year for a one in ten million. Uh huh. And he would be. And he would I be close. Think that there's no evidence whatsoever that anybody allows you to take any kind of chance of killing someone. Hmm. I think that is different, and I think you have not shown any evidence. Uh, it's true. I haven't. Uh, it's true. I haven't. I, I won't deny that I haven't. You know, I skipped a lot of the sugya. Uh, but uh, okay, interesting, right? So now we have. Now what we have to do is right. So for killing people, no chances, right? No chances at all. We'll call it right. We'll we'll. Call that by saying that right? So right. But what about not killing them, but just um, from you know just gravely injuring them? Does the same rule apply? I think as it gets less serious, you're going to lose the number. We end up with a very right, so right, so with a really interesting notion, right? So what we mean by the rule we're arguing about is a sliding scale rule. Okay, that's a very interesting position, right? There aren't any sukkim for that. Is there any sukkim for almost 
okay. I, I'm okay. I'm okay with this, right? I just pointed out that it's a pretty radical thesis. That the only terms we have in the Gemara so far are, are right, are rov and mute. And we've now introduced, right, and we have, and we there's apparently it's supposed to be a machloket between the mayor and the rabbanon about whether we're choshesh for mute or not. And you're telling me no. Actually, everyone agrees we're choshesh for large mutes and we're not choshesh for small mutes. And which what constitutes a large mute and what constitutes a small mute is dependent on my evaluation of which mitzvot are worth taking risks. Are, are you're telling me that the majority position is that as long as the behavior I'm engaging in has a 51% chance that it won't kill anybody, I'm allowed to do it as much as I want. And I'm the one who's ridiculous? There's at least a 51% chance. Just checking. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, what I'm saying, it is, you know, saying is that it's not halakhically usher to do it. They were telling me, but it's got to be wrong. So I can say, okay, you know what, I'll make an interbundant about it. So right, so right, so right, right, but you, that's not going to satisfy you. You want God, you want God, you know, to have come down and made it usher, uh, which by the way, but you didn't really need God to tell you that because you knew it already. Do but if God doesn't say it, ah, that's what you think. Okay. It's not that if God doesn't say it, he loses, right, he, he loses your confidence. Ah, okay, okay, that could be, that could be. I, I just want to point out that what the the boundaries of the machloket between um, between between the rabbanan and rebbeir are not at all clear, and right, Deborah's just given us a much much more complicated uh, right um, machloket than we have obviously evidence by the gemara. There are cases, you know, the, the case that I usually talk about where this is becomes intuitively clear is about is beyond a reasonable doubt in American law. American law has one standard for a criminal for a criminal conviction, which is beyond a reasonable doubt, right? whatever, right? Isn't it? But all reasonable people understand that what the definition of de- reasonable doubt is different in capital cases than it is in cases where the outcome is a five dollar fine. Even though the words are going to be the same, right? But it's but it's got to be a sliding scale as to what degree of proof you uh, we require. There are going to be counter principles though, right? Because it's much more important to catch murderers than to catch people who commit, of, who commit offenses that are worth, right? So it might be that you should convict murderers on less evidence than people who do things that bring $5 fines because, uh, right, because if you don't convict the person, right, who, who, right, who jumped the turnstiles, so well, you have another turnstile driver. You don't convict a murderer. You have another murderer, assuming that murderers are risk, right? And I know the Ramos says no, right? The Ramos is holding on that, right? Okay, right? But, um, yeah, sure. Okay. So let's take a look at the Sugi and Hulun, right? That's best probably, right? What the Sugi and Hulun does in, to answer the question. Right, so Rebbe Lazar, for example, brings in the claim that the proof that we follow the rove in a ruba de lesa kaman is that we can eat a um, we can eat a korban ola, and he says, look, there's something that uh, the problem is that you're not allowed to. Um, well, actually, let's take the korban pesach one's the next one. I just want to show you the structure. So you're not allowed to break the the, the bones of 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 korban pesach. But there are forms of trefos which would make the carbon pesach halachically inedible that can only be verified if you break a bone. So now we're stuck. The Torah says you can eat a carbon pesach, but the only way, right, but the Torah says you can't break the bones of a carbon pesach. You can't eat it if you've broken the bones, and that and if you're choshesh for miuta, so there's a possibility, right? You should you should have to check. You actually have to check for every possibility of trefos, right? We check just right. We check basically just lungs, right? Uh, right? We inflate the lungs to check for small punctures. We don't check the other organ. We don't inflate the other organs to check for small punctures. But the Gemara says, if you're really choshesh, if you're really choshesh well, let's say, if you really don't follow the basaruba, so then you should not be able to eat any animal unless you have checked every possible trefos, and and on a carbon pesach, you cannot check for every possible trefos without creating a new one. Okay, so that proves we must say zil basaruba in, uh, in that case. Okay, the Gemara is going to reject it by, uh, by saying that there's another mode, uh, there's, another, there's another way to check, right, you can boil it. And that, right, that'll soften it enough that you can get to the right result, right? You can't eat the meat. Okay, then boil it. I don't know. Well, who can... All that matters to us is there is a way of doing it, right? You're trying to prove that there is a statement in the Torah that, right, that only makes sense if you follow Rov, or there's a mitzvah in the Torah that only becomes possible if you follow Rov, 
The answer is no, um, right? There is a way to do it. Now, obviously, the proof assumes that there can't be mitzvot in the Torah that are halakhically impossible. So we could just answer, no, you're right. We, never, we should never eat a Korban Pesach. Okay. No. The Torah says you know, Pesach, it must be right, it must be possible we're okay with never killing a Ben Saramora, but we're not okay with never eating a Korban Pesach. Um, okay. So the Gemara has a whole series of others, right? There, right, I put you the right Rav Nachman Yitzchak offers his example, and they all basically try, they all basically try proofs of the same sort. Uh, Rav Mari tries you know, one of the more interesting proofs. He says, right, we could never, uh, right, we could, we should never be able to execute somebody for striking their father, because you can never prove that somebody, right, the whole basis for assuming fatherhood is majority. Right, they didn't have, they didn't have DNA. Um, so the Gemara says, no, we could say that you only do it if the, if the parents were, were locked in prison, there was no one else there, and the Gemara answers famously, in a Petropos right, People can be locked in a maximum security prison with 100,000-foot walls, we don't assume that it was impossible for them to have a sexual liaison with somebody, right, with somebody outside the walls, and therefore, and therefore paternity is, paternity, among other things, right, therefore paternity, or the postman will do what he sees, whatever it may be, therefore, right, and right, therefore, therefore, the Gemara says that, um, Paternity is always going to be a function of majority, and that the Gemara doesn't have an answer to. Right? So one of the, you know, if we were doing the sugya structurally, we see there are certain things where the Gemara seems to have proven its point. But if we continue with the sugya, so Rav Ashi comes along, and Rav Ashi says, Asya me shchita atzma. We'll just prove it from the mere fact of shchita, um, because the, the the Torah says doesn't ever say it, but let's suppose it says it. The Torah says that you can eat an, that uh, if once you have shechted an animal, you can eat it. Or at least once you have shafted an animal and you do X number of other activities, it must be possible to eat meat. How do you know it's possible to eat meat? Maybe, right? Maybe the, at the place where the, where the knife cut the throat while you're doing shechita, there was a mum. So maybe the act of shechita made it impossible for you to know whether there was a mum or not. Okay, in another sugya, which we won't get into now, right, there's, that's also the Gemara also raised that as a possibility against convicting murderers. Um, but, okay. Because you can never know that the, the murdered person wasn't a trefan. It's not a capital crime to kill a trefan. All right, here the Gemara asks ask the question in the context of kashras. How, right, how can you know? It's right, it must be we say zil basaruba. And Rav Ashi says, I, I said this in front of Rav Kahana, and Rav Kahana said in Rav Simi, and he said, the whole mode of proof is false. Because if you're trying to prove it from a case where something would be impossible, unless you said zil basaruba, all you've proven is that we say zil basaruba when the alternative is impossible. You haven't proven that we say zil basaruba where there's an alternative. Right? So the whole mode of argument is right. right? So Rasimi said, to him, if you're trying to prove zil basaruba, right, zil basaruba as a general principle, the attempt to prove that the Torah assumes it in specific cases is false. It right, is useless. All will say is, yeah, Rameir agrees. We're not choshesh lemuta. We're being choshesh lemuta. Would eliminate the mitzvah. But the question, is, the debate between Rameir and the Rabbanan is about whether we say zil basarubah when we can live without it. And that, right? That and that, um, Rav Simi uh, uh, says to says to uh, says to Ravashi, Rav Kana says to Ravashi, Rav Simi says to Kana, Rav Kana says to Ravashi, that you haven't proven at all, because he says the ilo temachi. If you don't accept this distinction, right, between places where we rely on majority because there is no alternative, and places where we rely on majority where there is an alternative, so then the position, should mean you never eat meat. And he'll tell me, okay, so Rameir was a vegetarian. You can't eat meat. Yay. No, Rameir has to eat a Korban Pesach. Right, so since there's a mitzvah to eat meat, uh, right, so therefore, right, so the... He has to, his position has to, right, has to uh, allow for the possibility of eating the meat of the carbon Pesach. So therefore the Gemara says it must be that the dispute between the mayor and the Chachamim of Chayesh Lemuta takes as a given that we say Zil Basaruba when there is no alternative, halakhically, but it doesn't tell us anything about whether we follow the rule, uh, whether, whether we follow the rule um, generally. So now we say, you know what, everybody agrees Zil Basaruba in the case of Aruba Disa Kaman, presumably. Or at least in the voting case, and probably also in the in the in the nine in the um, in the uh, in the nine in the nine stores ten stores nine of which nine of which are kosher probably. Um, the dispute is only in the case of Ruba de Lessa Kaman, and now it turns out the dispute in the case of Ruba de Lessa Kaman is only when we have an alternative 
or we don't, or we don't have an alternative. So the question is going to be, um, right, what's right, in that circumstance right, where we, we have an alternative, right? So let's say we're, we're talking about, um, well, maybe eating meat generally is, be, we have no alternative because the Torah says that eating meat is mutter. Even though it's not a mitzvah always, but it's, but it's mutter. But when it comes to just a perfectly ordinary thing that the Torah never says anything about, like, for example, can I drink tap water without passing it through uh, extreme filters to, right, to filter out the, the uh, whatever the small insects are, uh, or non-insects, copepads, copepads, whatever it is, right? So, even if it, right, so maybe I say, look, the Torah never says drink water, uh, right, you know, just, you know, right, so, okay, you know, you know, you know they're, they're all, they're, without, without doing that, so maybe, uh, right, so right, for the right now, we can, you can imagine a world where we have to eliminate every possibility of sin, not just in the present, but even the possibility that something we'll do will, in retrospect, turn out to have been sin, and that'll be the position of a mayor. And the question here is, but why would, uh, right, so what justifies any of us in doing anything else? Right, why are we ever allowed to take risks of sinning? And then we ask, is it really only about risk of sinning? Maybe the question is, right, generally, in situations where there's no risk of sin, what do we do when confronted with things, right, when confronted with probability cases, right? What does halacha think about probability? Maybe, right, maybe it just denies it. Now let's figure out, what, you know, so how do you calculate things, right? How do you make decisions in life when they're not about sin or not? Okay, so that's, what, that's, that's the, the issue we're addressing. Um, we'll come back uh, in three weeks, I guess, right, because I'll, I'll be away the next two weeks. I'll be with the next two weeks. Um, so we'll come back and we'll, you know, we'll um, redo the sugya somewhat, right? So, we're not, so, so, right, so you don't have to remember everything, everything cold. And uh, we'll try and figure out what, what it might mean halakhically, and then we'll go into the uh, Rosh right? Obviously, we'll talk about the Machlok at Ram, Ra, Rashba and, and Ramam about whether uh, we hold Safi Daraisa Lechumra as Daraisa or Darabanan. And then we'll talk about how that ties into Rosh uh, and maybe the Tells are also. Okay. okay? Thank you. That was fun. While you're taking a bite of the pear, because it might be fucked up. Yes. Um, you should also have a couple of shots of whiskey and then drive home with your eyes closed, because there's a, some dancing going on. Um, well, should is a dangerous word. My question is, if, 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 <laughs> just to be clear, I was joking. For the record, Deborah was joking. It was just a modest suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> Cool, give it a best, but I love